Welcome to Mouse Mina Theatre Podcast, recorded in our beautiful Mouse Mina Theatre Lobby on Vancouver Island University's Nanaimo campus. Every episode, we will feature members of our community on a wide variety of different topics, themes, and styles of podcasting. Our goal is to foster discussions important to our community members and highlight emerging talent. We would like to acknowledge and thank the Sinemu, Watson, Taleum, Nawas, and Qualicum First Nation on whose traditional lands we teach, learn, research, live, and share knowledge. Uh, we are sitting here with Sean Enns, Charlie Lincoln, Eliza Gardner, and on the phone we have Connor, who has written a play that is going over to Vancouver, which is very exciting. Um, and we're just talking a little bit about some neurodiverse theater, which is kind of interesting. So, Sean, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing? Uh, well, three years ago, so in 2019, I got a diagnosis of ADHD. Uh, obviously, I've had it my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and my son is neurodiverse, so my son is autistic with a cognitive disability. Um, I My work is kind of rooted in disability justice and advocacy. What kind of, um, what kind of work? Uh, so I work for the Nanaimo Association for Community Living. So they provide supports for adults with uh, developmental and cognitive disabilities. Brilliant, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm just starting working in their employment program on Monday. And mm-hmm. the last three years I've been with Nanaimo Food Chair Society building programs relating to food skills and food sovereignty for indigenous peoples and people with disabilities. So, uh, but always kind of centering back around disability work. Mm-hmm. And so when I got my diagnosis, I started to think about what that means. And I think a lot of people sort of start to think about what neurodiversity is. It's a word Mm -hmm. that people are hearing a lot. Um, So I set out, because I didn't know, I knew I had ADHD, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, So I set out to start to try and learn what that meant to me. Um, You know, I don't feel inattentive. I don't feel hyperactive. Uh, so I started doing research, and, and that got me so far. And then I said, well, you know, I'm interested in theater, so I'm going to write some plays about my lived experience with it. So cool. I wrote six short plays, uh, each one exploring a different aspect of ADHD and the way I experience it. Right. So then I applied uh, last year to the... I finished most of them last year, mm-hmm. um, applied to the Nanaimo uh, or the Neighborhood Small Grants uh project to get a little bit of money to produce them uh and i said what i want to do is i want to center it around i want to start a conversation around neurodiversity i want people to be asking questions about what that means what is neurodiversity how does that apply uh and uh then just really go from there i don't think i'm going to answer because uh, neurodiversity is a fairly broad spectrum right now like it's a huge like it's a it's a almost a blanket term to discuss to discuss a lot of different um different scenarios yeah and i think originally i mean probably the things people are most familiar with uh, are autistic people that's been uh probably one of the more diagnosed ones uh adhd certainly uh, a lot of young men uh, diagnosed with adhd mm-hmm. uh now, what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of adult women uh, receive a diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, because the diagnostics are largely based on young white men. 
Uh, so if you're a woman or if you're a minority or if you're basically anything other than a young white man, it's really hard to get a diagnosis of ADHD or autism. Really? So, absolutely. Yeah, it's people get denied diagnoses all the time because they don't, uh, they don't present the way a young man presents. So a young woman presents ADHD or autism much differently Very than different. a young man does. So they can't get a diagnosis. And so now uh, women in adulthood, there's a real boom of people seeing diagnoses. There's a lot of research coming out uh, now that says, and I think someone just did a survey, uh, this individual, I mean, just a private individual with a blog, but surveyed 11,000 people or something like that. Uh, and of them, and he primarily focuses on autism. So he's an autistic voice. Uh, and he found that of the people he surveyed, they were all autistic, 40% of them also had ADHD. So then it's like, well, what do these things actually mean? And if you say someone is autistic, what does that mean? Do people know what that is? Do people know what ADHD is? Um, how are we talking about these things? So in society, and this comes back to conversations around disability, how largely disability is still seen I would say is the medical model of impairment. Right. So when we think about disability, we think about medical impairment right. or mental impairment. And there's a lot of interesting stuff emerging. And it's great to see that the arts sector is actually leading this, um, that disability is a systems issue and society is the disabling factor. So even though I'm disabled, I'm disabled because I have to exist in a world that doesn't support neurodiversity. Oh, um, nice. And this is true for so many people. It's true for women. It's true for people struggling with mental health. So then you have this massive term neurodiversity, which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But you have women who struggle with mental health. Right for decades uh so you know you get a diagnosis of generalized depression or generalized anxiety right uh and is that because you're depressed or is that because you don't fit into the world uh and people keep telling you you're wrong or you're broken and you get depressed as a result of that right. and we're seeing a lot of that that these women who are receiving a diagnosis is like oh that makes sense and so now we're seeing a lot more intersections between trauma and uh, neurodivergence. And so with young men, uh, you might have, who get a diagnosis when they're very young, you get a diagnosis, and I was diagnosed older, but anyone who received a diagnosis, uh, and Connor obviously is much younger than me, so maybe he can talk to this, sure. that you get a diagnosis when you're young and people stigmatize that, they treat you differently because you identify as neurodiverse or autistic, right. and that can accumulate some trauma. There's a lot that goes around around ABA, which is one of the training things, and a lot of young autistic men uh, who had to go through applied behavioral analysis really uh, are, you know, they're bringing forward a lot of trauma about that intervention method. And so uh, they accumulate trauma that's connected to how they're treated because they identify as neurodiverse. Then you have women who accumulate trauma because they don't know how they fit in. Right. Then they get a diagnosis. So their diagnosis is informed by the trauma they've lived. So the, the connections between trauma and neurodivergence are becoming a lot more blurry and overlap. They're including mental health. Right. Uh, they're including trauma-informed practice. They're in 
including uh, people with chronic illness, uh, people we call spoonies, which is an interesting... Uh, spoonies. Spoonies is a fun thing that you can look up. So I'm a woman fascinated. With, I absolutely will. What is uh, a woman with chronic illness developed this thing she calls spoon theory. Mm -hmm. uh, a woman uh, developed this uh, thing she calls spoon theory, uh, wherein uh, a, a person who's healthy starts out the day with a set number of spoons. Let's say it's 10, and you okay. get out of bed, and that takes a spoon, and you get into the shower, and that takes a spoon, and you make your breakfast and go to work, and that takes a spoon. When you're struggling with disability, uh, or you're disabled by systems or what have you, everything is much harder. So all the things that people take for granted as just being, well, just get up and do the thing, takes maybe four spoons to get out of bed. Because if you have depression, you're like, I don't want to get up today. It's right. so hard. I'm just going to stay in bed. It's like three spoons just to get out of bed. Yeah. Everyone starts the day with the same amount of spoons. That makes sense. So then it teaches us not to stigmatize uh, other people for their disability, for everyone's doing the best they can. Right. So we're moving away from this whole nonsense around pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just do the work, just do whatever. Like we need. So this whole neurodiverse theater, I just called it that because yeah. I want to start talking about it. I'm tired of not talking about I it. I agree, and I think this is great. Eliza, you brought up something just before the uh, we started recording. You brought up the concept of inclusive theater, which, um, how would you define that? So I think inclusive theater, Sean, I could listen to you all day, honestly, but I'm going to leap in here and chat up kind of what I think is a larger, maybe even more trendy academic term for making sure that people of all abilities are welcome in a theater venue, mm. in a theater program, in a production, in a project, whatever it is, all kinds of diverse learners here at VIU can and should be able to walk in the door and feel like there's a role for them. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the starring role, that might not be the best fit because if the person is super anxious, they're gonna feel like they can't come in. But there's sets to be painted, there's sound to be jimmied with, there's all kinds of opportunities right. if only we can embrace everyone, which is extremely challenging, but for me, it's really fun and exciting. Okay, so just to clarify, because from what you were talking about, it's a combination of absolutely everybody, but what you're talking about is neurodiverse specifically. Is that correct? Yeah. Or I'm, like, correct uh, me if I'm wrong. Well, generally, so yes, my, when I, so there's, there's a good analogy about uh, inclusivity and diversity and equity and justice. Mm -hmm. And so uh, inclusivity, Mm -hmm. uh, asks who's at the table. Uh, diversity asks who's missing from the table and what were the barriers to them getting there. Uh, equity is ensuring that everybody is heard and justice is ensuring that even the, the smallest voices have a chance to take action. So <laughs> when we- analogy, okay. Uh, when fantastic. we create space, so I do love inclusivity, and I think in the hands of someone like Eliza, who's obviously doing tremendous work, it's a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use inclusivity to say, I hired a person with disability. 
and I treated them the same as everyone else. And that's not inclusivity because people need additional supports, right. people need accommodation. We need to ask people, what do you need to thrive? Right. And when you ask those questions, you come up often with surprising answers. Mm -hmm. So I like to take it, I think there's a lot of people who like to say they're inclusive, but when the rubber hits the road, they're, they're not actually being inclusive. Uh, so I, I think it's important, like my work tends to focus more on the justice and like, well, let's dismantle the systems. And why do we have to keep doing things the way we've done them for right. 50 years? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Why do we, you know, theater can be whatever it wants to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, like the systems that built theater are largely European pale stale male systems, whatever you want to call them. Okay. So we can just dismantle those systems and do whatever we want. I mean, we're just telling stories, right? And this is leading towards, is this leading towards a project or a specific company or? This is leading towards trying to create space uh, for uh, people to be in theater that haven't had the chance because Good. they experience anxiety, depression, awesome. because they need it to work different than it does. Okay. So I just want to figure out how to create space for that. And that's what these plays and everything I do. That's awesome. Now, Charlie, what have you been up to? You're working on... Um, well, like these two have uh, introduced into the conversation, inclusivity has been a major part of... Uh, my year so far mm -hmm. um because of people trying to diversify their plays i've been getting reached out to more okay. which is very nice i, I feel <coughs> like this is probably my best year in terms of like getting roles in theater okay and i feel like i've been able to actually you know m make my mark on the make my mark into the into the art great and that's fantastic. And of course, we've got Connor as well. Connor, could you tell us a little bit about the show you're working on? Hello, Leon. Um, the show I'm working on, Built Different, touches upon a lot of the things that Sean mentioned earlier. Honestly, Sean, all of those points, I really could not have said them better myself. Yeah, um, so Built Different is about these four young adults who me after the death of their behavioral consultant and oftentimes when you're growing up and you're on the spectrum you will be matched with somebody who is like trained to work with autistic people and will put you in groups with other autistic people and you'll spend like maybe one day a week talking about social skills and doing stuff together Fascinating. anyway the person who did that for them died and they're like all meeting in this one cabin that one of their aunts has. And it's just kind of like a reflection on the lives they've had that have been shaped by like their diagnoses of and course. this behavioral consultant and perceptions from society. Um, That's it's fantastic. very, it's a lot of, um, it's one of those emotional growth happens in one place things like the breakfast club right. or the big chill. Right, right, right. No, that's, that's fantastic. And also by the sounds of it, it'll give everybody a little bit of an insight into, I mean, for example, I never had never come across the term of a, what was it? A behavioral? 
behavioral consultant. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'd never come across that term before, which is brilliant. So, yeah, so um, so your show goes up where and when? Oh, yeah, it goes up at the Colch in Vancouver from June 2nd through June 5th. Wonderful. That's fantastic. You must be really excited. Yeah, um, I've been... I think I've always kind of been wanting to write a show like this, something about neurodiversity, because I was diagnosed when I was very young. I would have been like nine Mm -hmm. when I was diagnosed. And it was a privilege to be able to know that stuff ahead of time, because a lot of people do kind of face that barriers in diagnosis, like women and minorities. Because, yeah, there's like, there's a character in my play that's very, like, was diagnosed later in life because she was a woman and didn't really fit the diagnostic criteria. And, like, that's a huge part of her arc, overcoming the imposter syndrome of the late diagnosis. Interesting. That's great. And just, yeah, it's really, when you get the information in your life is really crucial to how you develop after that so yeah you kind of touched on it earlier sean with like the link between autism and mental health and how closely it all kind of meshes together Mm -hmm. that's brilliant so who else is in the play connor Yes, um, I am acting alongside the brilliant Jesse Wilson, an alum of the VIU theater program. Has yep. done many of their plays there. Um, the also brilliant Adrian Kennedy um, wow. delivers a really soulful and amazing performance as Arlen. And Megan Soloway, who wow. is also really amazing. I just... The cast and crew, I tried to make sure when I was auditioning that everyone was like, I wanted an honest show as possible. So everyone in the show has some form of neurodivergency or Asperger's or autism. And we didn't intend this, but the entire cast and crew actually does too, because Sam Call's directing... Chris Carter's stage managing and Fabulous. Brandon Call is the ASM. That's wonderful. Okay, I so love all the, those guys. The, yeah, no, they all funny. came from here, from yeah. amazing VIU theater you, you diploma program. Have an entire cast and crew touring a show that came out of the program. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Well, congratulations. That's 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 absolutely amazing, Charlie. Yeah, you, you I, worked on a show, right? Um, yeah, recently I was, uh, well, uh, Sean right beside me, we, uh, we put on White Lighters and uh, Hee Ha Ha, I think was the name. And um, one, uh, Hee Ha Ha, uh, deals with uh, what would happen if someone with uh, neurodiversity, say they lost someone, how they dealt with love, mm-hmm. and how they dealt with the loss of it. It was uh, the two like fifteen minute maximum plays. That's great. Um, and the cool thing that I enjoyed was Sean um, got us to switch roles. Like no one performance was the same. 
So every time we put it on, we would switch roles. Really? So we never got to act with this. Or well, we got to act with the same person for both plays, but it was a, uh, it was very different from what I'm used to. Why did you do that? Uh, yeah. So they're all two-handers. <laughs> um, I actually did it. You know the National Theater live performance of Frankenstein. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the why Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, one. I mm. loved that. I loved the idea of like yeah. switching roles, and I liked Charlie so much. So uh, when I did auditions, um, I initially had uh, Melissa Cahan, who's just amazing, uh, a young man named Evan Shumka, uh, who's in this program as well. Yeah. Great young actor. Uh, I had a third young woman from Duncan Kalipaloha. Uh, and then I was like, I could have just stopped it too, but I wanted to do, I don't know, I just like to take risks. And yeah. I was like, well, what if I do it in such a way that every time we perform it, and I wanted to create something that was a bit longer because they are so short. Right. Um, so rather than just do two 15-minute performances and then send people on their way, what if we stage each performance twice in a day, right. do it over two weekends, and what if we switch the performers uh, every time we do it? So one time Charlie performs with Melissa for White Lighters, the next time he performs with Kalipalwat, uh, and then we just do that pairing. I, it's fun. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. It's not how people do stuff. Well, from um, a directing point of view, it's also interesting because everybody, every actor brings a different flavor to the every part, right? So. That, I wanted to see, like, one of the things that really excites me about theater, particularly as a writer and someone who doesn't act, uh, is watching what happens when actors take stuff. Yeah. They're so gifted when and become, talented yeah, and what it becomes. And, you know, so lucky to work with, with Charlie and, and everyone else. Um, I just love seeing people act. I love seeing people take my words and do whatever with them. And uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Tear it open. Yeah, it's fun. That's fantastic. Working with the weather was also interesting. We had one sunny, like one of the days was like super sunny. It was really nice, but in our first weekend, it decided to not be so nice. It was very rainy and very wet. <laughs> so. Um, Working in that condition was interesting. We were working outside? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were at the uh, Duck Pond at Bowen Park uh, awesome. in the amphitheater. That's um, fantastic. I've, I've never thought that I would work in an amphitheater, but it was, it was fun, and I'd like to do it at some point again. Uh, cool. Mainly just to work on my, uh, my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and you, but yet you were surprised that it was raining, Charlie. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be sunny, okay. and it was not, and I was not prepared. I put my hair up, and I thought, all right, I'm going to look nice for this, and then it was pouring My by the time I got there, because like, I went to the wrong end of Bowen Park, so I had to walk for like 20 minutes to uh, get to where I needed to be, and then I got lost, so oh, no. it was like one thing on top of... Uh, the other so by the time I got there my hair was just down because it was it was just so wet and then when we started because I had a bunch of hair products uh, in my hair it kind of it kind of seeped into my eyes <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, during one of the monologues uh, that I was supposed to get uh, emotional um, I started crying 
But that wasn't because I can control when I cry. It was because hairspray was getting into my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and I couldn't recreate that. Don't don't tell them how the sausage is made, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, uh, Charlie does such great emotional work anyway, and I thought brought some really great emotional energy and sadness to that character. And the fact that uh, he started crying just made it better. So just this is a question for everybody, I think. Um, are there any particular challenges working with uh, neurodiverse theater at all? Right. What like there's a lot of opportunities and it's fantastic that are that are coming out. I'm just wondering if there are any particular challenges regarding um, this particular style. Well, I, I can give you two okay. uh, off the top of my head. So people with ADHD, which is me, uh, we don't understand the passage of time. So we can't internalize how much time has passed. Uh, OK. Uh, ever. So we're always either an hour early or five minutes late because I don't know how long it will take when I leave my house for me to get somewhere. I don't know how long we've been sitting here. Could be 10 minutes. We could have been here for an hour. I actually, I can't internalize, like I have no clock that okay. measures time for me. So when you start doing stuff like Q to Q, when you start doing like tight rehearsal times, when you start doing really structural rehearsal processes, right. it's a nightmare. It is seriously <laughs> a hot okay. nightmare. So I've never done rehearsals that way. Okay. Um, for the few things I've directed, I just like I've noticed and having some director mentors, like rehearsal processes can be really structured. Like we're gonna do this and here's this line and then we're gonna do this. And it's all like very tight and organized. And that is, I, I immediately like go into um, kind of executive function shutdown because I just can't do it. I right. need things to be organic and flow and interrupt and because okay. the rules don't seem to be real. They seem to be kind of arbitrary and why do we have to do it that way anyway? So that's one part is sort of anything that's really like, and I understand I've produced events. I understand sometimes things have to be time driven and we can manage, right? Like it's not, I'm not saying that nothing should ever be timed. I'm part of things where we hit cues and do stuff on time schedules all the time, but also like five minutes here or there, whether you hit this or whether a thing is 12 minutes or 16 minutes kind of doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Um, so that's one challenge is like trying to break down that sort of rigid structure of this is how you do a rehearsal and this is how you do a reading and this is how you remember so it's re so it's just relooking at how the whole process works yeah it's how do you want to learn the lines like what is going to work for you how mm -hmm. do you want to talk about movement how do you want to bring emotion in what are the expectations um i don't mask my emotion i'm kind of a i'm i'm a I'm not a curmudgeon. I think I'm delightful, but like I'm not. <laughs> I also think that uh, I I have a way about me, and I don't couch my language, and yeah. I will say stuff. And like I know there's things where you're not supposed to tell someone how to read a line, and there's like all these conventions. But sometimes I'm gonna say like, no, read it this way because this is like if I can see they're struggling with it, yeah. it seems like a silly rule. So like starting to break these things down. Yeah. Uh, and then, in general, for neurodiverse people, sensory stuff. Like, theaters are not <laughs> delightful. I'm sure Connor can speak to this. I find Connor's work delightful. Uh, I've seen a few of your things even build different, and I think I saw you do something up here. Theaters and theater spaces are not sensory-friendly environments. 
So they're loud, they're bright, there's a lot of lights, there's no chill spaces. Like, what are we supposed to do if we feel overwhelmed? What are we supposed to do if we lose executive function? So like all of these things are that spaces are not uh, necessarily built for people that have any sort of sensory processing stuff. I don't have sensory processing issues, but uh, I know for sure I talk to and work with a lot of people who do. So cool. Connor, I'll, I'll throw that to Connor. I'll throw that sure to Connor as well. Actually. Yeah. Connor, in your production, have you found any particular challenges coming across? Well, I'm just, um, before I get to that question, mm -hmm. I just want to touch on what you just said, Sean, about how theaters can sometimes be very non-sensory friendly to autistic people. I just kind of wanted to bounce off that. Um, we're doing a relaxed performance of the show on Sunday, I believe. It's one of the days a built different. Anyway, we're having a relaxed performance and the house lights will be on. It'll be kind of like more people can come and go if they want. You get like a buffer zone and the performances are kind of just like slightly toned so, down. Just so like a, rela a, different... a relaxed run, a sensory-friendly run. Yes, exactly. Just trying to make it a bit easier to get there for people who wouldn't really the people who would have barriers from going to theater in the first place yeah no, that is a fantastic idea i think we should incorporate and that next year so just to address your question that you asked me um particular challenges in dealing with built different yeah. um honestly the actual production itself feels like it's been pretty smooth this year, we uh -huh. did it last year, so we were all kind of able to snap back into the rhythm of the characters and the performances. The thing I think has been the most challenging for me is like the the really intense high level of communication that you always have to be on when you're like any sort of high-ranking person in a theater production. Makes sense just like stuff back and forth to producers, work emails, making sure of small details. I'm very like, I'm not diagnosed, but I feel like I also have ADHD as well. I've ex experienced a lot of symptoms a lot and, and I can just like really small stuff is just, it can just go right by me. So I really have to be careful and make sure to take in everything as it comes, I guess. Great. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's a, that's a really inventive solution to, I love the idea of a relaxed run or a sensory friendly run. I think that's fantastic. So just a quick question to everybody. Um, what's next? What comes after this? What? So uh, I'll start with you, Charlie. Um, what am I doing next? Yeah, what do you, um, have, you have plans for? Uh, at the end of June, I am uh, going to Gabriola for the uh, Gabriola Festival, and I am reprising my uh, role as Walsh Green in uh, Caster Angus's Trying to Keep Up. Fantastic. And um, I got to act alongside Quilipula um, uh, again. Uh, I got to act with her in... Um, uh, before and with uh, Sean's play. Great. 
And then I am acting with Gabriel. I do not know how to say his last name. He's a really sweet drag queen. Um, and Miles Kehoe, who was also very, very cool. I love them. They are amazing actors, and I cool. can't wait to uh, can't wait to do that again. That's awesome. And Eliza, you're on a plane tomorrow. Yes, I'm. <laughs> I'm heading out. I'm so happy to be able to chit chat with you today about this because it's making me think onwards towards the fall. Mm-hmm. This next week, I'm going to Athens, Greece, right. to present my actually deconstructed version of Clytemnestra. Well, originally it was called Agamemnon. I even changed the title so that cool. it represents more the potential of the female protagonist to rule at least her city, if not the world. And Charlie played the queen when we did it here at BIU right, yeah. as a colloquium. So I'm going to be thinking of Charlie and Megan and Rachel while I'm there. <laughs> but when I'm already thinking, you know, ahead to the fall, mm-hmm. and hopefully, cross your fingers, folks, I've applied to some internal funding here at BIU so that we can do again this year what we nicknamed inclusive theater, you know, workshops, essentially, in order to bring into this venue specifically potentially non-theater students too Mm -hmm. who might want to take part in something that isn't quite the traditional structure of theater in order just to explore what people want Mm -hmm. in order to make some of these changes that sean and connor and 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 we've been talking about today we have to first get people in here yeah yeah, yeah right and then we can say sure we don't need flashing lights or sure we can use the back door if you have you know mobility issues that make it tough to come down through the house yeah exactly there's all kinds of accommodations we can do in the area of the performing arts that's my passion right so hopefully in the fall we'll get some funding and yeah, then we can team up sean Right? That'd be great. Absolutely. And Connor, so you've got the mm-hmm. show coming up into in June at the College. Is there yep. more in future for this production? Or are you moving on to something else? Well, I can't say what built difference a f- official future beyond the cult is right now, but it's definitely something I plan to keep in my back pocket to do again some point. I think people have really been responding to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there are more people that we'll just see what happens. Sounds great. Yeah. And Sean. Uh, well, first, I want to say to Eliza, I'm so jealous and excited for you. Uh, I love the, the tragedies. I wrote one of my plays that I wrote uh, is loosely based on Medea. Very loosely, oh, okay. but uh, it's there. Um, Another female character who's been somewhat villainized. Totally. Like <laughs> everyone, like all of them, <laughs> we, we'll get there in another, that's another podcast. Um, but uh, after this, uh, so now this initial, uh, and so we've received some funding. Uh, so there's two things that I'm working on. So mm-hmm. one uh, part of, I'll be working with Connor and the young folks from Built Different after they do this. So there's part of a, an accessibility project where we've received some funding to actually develop an accessible, a neurodiverse accessible 
theater space or at least start to look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd love to do, and there's a couple other grants I'm going to go for, is to have something like the little black box up here, but in the downtown area so right. that it creates some of that connection between the university and the downtown. Mm-hmm. So we create some continuity for people but where it's always a relaxed performance. Like let's just always build relaxed yeah, performances absolutely. and everyone else can figure it out. Cool. So working on that, um, I am the, uh, and I just finished doing some grants. So uh, I was asked to be the uh, festival producer uh, for the New Waves Festival next year with Western wow. Edge Theater. Nice. So just wrote that uh, and will be staging my horror play that I just did in December here, uh, The Scottish Curse. Fantastic. Uh, So that will be the headliner for that show. And other than that, just looking for opportunities to produce my work. Sweet. Um, So I wrote uh, eight new plays over the pandemic. Nice. Um, so that's a good use. That's a great use. <laughs> that's what I wanted to Beats do. Heck out of learning how to make bread. Yeah, uh, and then coming back to school here in the fall. So I'm in creative writing, but then looking to great. try and figure out how to bridge the creative writing work I do with more theater stuff because that's where my heart and passion. Cool. Are. You're a right. mover and a shaker. Sure I am. I think I could write maybe one solid paragraph before it like <laughs> divulges into a, just a rambling. So I think eight plays is pretty impressive. That's awesome. Totally. All right, mates. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And I will wrap this up and say thank you for listening to uh, another Malaspina podcast. Thanks for having us. No worries. Have fun, Connor. It was very enjoyable. Thank you, Leon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care.